Let's take a few moments to pray silently together, please. Heavenly Father, we cannot even begin to contemplate. And we stand in fear and trembling at the indescribable responsibility of opening up your precious and holy word and of rightly handling it and of rightly dividing it. But dear God, we beg you that you meet with us today and that somehow, in an uncommon way, you will make your presence felt known unto us to give us confidence in the security of our salvation and of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, in these perilous and trying hours. Heavenly Father, I pray for all of my spiritual brothers and sisters around the world who do not have the privilege to meet in a place such as this. And if they do meet at all, they meet under the threat of life and limb. They have to do so in secrecy. Heavenly Father, I also think about our Christian brothers and sisters in the Gulf states, many of whom do not even have a physical building in which to meet in this morning because of the storms that ravaged their countrysides. May we always realize and appreciate how fortunate that we are that we can call you our Heavenly Father. We pray these things in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen. Please go with me to Psalm chapter 18. Psalm chapter 18, I have titled the outline that I preach from, Lord willing, I will love thee. And most of your Bibles, I'm sure if not, maybe not even all of them, the chapter has a title. And the title reads this, To the Chief Musician, a psalm of David. A psalm of David. Do we know what a psalm is? We read it many, many times over as it titles the psalms that we read in the Bible. But may I, in, will you indulge me if I give you my commentary explanation of what a psalm is? In the New Testament, the word psalm translates from the Greek noun psalmos. In the Greek, 
It is, it is spelled with what we would spell it, a transliteration of P-S-A-L-M. And in the Greek, both the P and the S are pronounced. It is psalmus, and derives the English noun psalm, or its plurality, psalms. A psalm is a sacred poem written for singing, usually accompanied by musical instruments. And uh, Paul uses it in the New Testament. Paul most likely instructed the church to sing the psalms recorded in the Old Testament. While the Old Testament records this word only twice in its inspired scriptures and three times in its singular, and one of those is in italics because the translators added it for clarity and also to complete the thought, it does occur in numerous uninspired titles attributed to the Psalms and often identifies the musical instrument used to accompany the singing. The word Psalms, plural, occurs twice in the New Testament. May I read from Colossians chapter 3 wherein Paul writes, Let the word of God dwell, and that word dwell means actively reside, dwell in you richly. Richly meaning abundantly and productively. Let the Word of God dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. Here, Paul's instruction to sing psalms surely included those written by David, wherein 2 Samuel chapter 23 and verse number 1 describes David as the sweet psalmist of Israel. The chapter's title also continues, David, the servant of the Lord, who spoke unto the Lord the words of this song in the day that the Lord delivered him from the hand of all his enemies and from the hand of Saul. I do not have the time to take this morning to speak of all the dangers that David was in. There was a time when every soldier in Saul's army would have been more than happy to present the head of David to King Saul because of the rewards that it meant. The contextual message of Psalm chapter 18 is David responded with praise when God delivered him in multiple conflicts. But I believe that the Psalm 18 also has a prophetic message as well. The Lord's enemies will find themselves impotent against Him in battle. Can we also look at a practical application as well? And I believe that the practical application of Psalm chapter 18 is, Be confident in God's salvation through Lord Jesus Christ. David expressed his love to God. Look in verse number 1. I will 
That word will there means, speaks of David's deep and forceful resolve. I will, I resolve to love thee. David loved God for his deliverances throughout his lifetime. In verse number 3, he loved God for his deliverance from my enemies, David writes. In verse number 4, he says, He delivered me from the sorrows of death. That word sorrows is the physical torments, the mental anguish, before and possibly even thinking of that even after death. Literally, the word sorrows in this verse literally speaks of a binding cord or a binding rope. Not only from my enemies and the sorrows of death, but also in verse number 4, the floods or the, or the torrential swift torrent of ungodly men. That expression, ungodly men, in verse number 4, translates from the Hebrew noun Belial, meaning wicked, reckless, lawless men, determined to take David's life and destroy others. Verse number 5, David loved God for delivering him from the sorrows of hell. That word hell translates from the Hebrew noun Sheol which is the realm of the godless death and the godless dead. Many times I think about all of those of whom have passed on into eternity and loved ones and even family members of whom I have no confidence whatsoever in their soul's salvation They are there in Sheol. And I, with David, thank God for delivering me from the sorrows of hell. We also see there in verse number 5 that David loved the Lord because he delivered him from the sorrows of death. Metaphorically, that that, uh, word snares of death speaks generally of all things that causes death. And David thanked God and loved him for deliverance from that. With all these things in mind, let's read some verses in Psalm chapter 18. I begin with verse number 1. I will love thee, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock my fortress, my deliverer, my God, my strength, in whom I will trust, my buckler, and the horn of my salvation, and my high tower. I will call upon the Lord, who is worthy to be praised. So shall I be saved from mine enemies. The sorrows of death compassed me or surrounded me about, and the floods of ungodly men made me afraid. This is not just a simple fear. This is almost an incapacitating, debilitating terror. The sorrows of death 
compassed me about. The snares of death prevented me or confronted me or always, were always before me. In my distress I called upon the Lord and cried unto my God. And He heard my voice out of His temple and my cry came before Him even unto His ears. I believe that David speaks for all the saints. I know that there have been times whenever I have had special thoughts in my mind and I put them into prayers and, and I write those prayers down on a piece of paper and so that I can look at them and contemplate over them. And I wonder if David was thinking the same thing. You know, these words that I'm thinking should be more than just thoughts that pass out of my mind. I will write them down. And so, thank God that God gave David the motivation and the desire to write those words down so that multiplied centuries later... We can read David's words translated into a language that you and I can understand. And when we are in similar situations as David was in, we can repeat these same words and they will literally come into the very ears of God Almighty. David says we must vow our loving allegiance to God. He says, I will. God alone can deliver from such catastrophic circumstances and situation. May we repeat the words of Asaph this morning from Psalm chapter 73, wherein he speaks, Whom have I in heaven but thee? I do not pray to Gabriel. And I do not pray to Michael. And I do not pray to Abraham. And I do not pray to Moses. No, church, I pray to God Almighty who sits on the throne and who, and with Jesus Christ, my Lord and Savior, sitting at His right hand, mediating between me and Jehovah God. Whom have I in heaven but Thee? There is none upon the earth that I desire but thee or beside thee. God's love deserve our psalmist praise, does it not? In Psalm chapter 63, David again says, Because thy loving kindness is better than life, my lips shall praise thee. We ought to love God as David did, reverentially and fearfully. For David writes the very words that we ought to repeat and mean them as we pray them. I will love you, O Lord. If your Bible is the same as my copy of God's Word, you will see that the word Lord is all capital letters. It translates what we believe from the Hebrew noun, Yehovah. 
which is translated into the English Jehovah or Yahweh, if you please. Lord, when it is all capitalized in that manner, speaks of and identifies the eternal self-existing one. Jehovah God. And David exemplified our love that we ought to express to Jehovah God as well. Let's look at our first main point this morning. That is, love the Lord because we possess Him. Now let's be careful with that. We do not possess Him according to our whims and trivial inclinations. We possess Him according to His soteriological salvific will and security. In the first couple of verses, you will see David record the words, My, nine times. Speaking of possession, he speaks of the Lord as My strength. He speaks of the Lord as My rock. He speaks of the Lord as My fortress, as My deliverer as my God, as my strength, as my buckler, as the horn of my salvation, as my tower, my high tower. All that God is, we possess salvifically. Who God is, we also possess salvifically as well. In verse number 1, He speaks, he identifies him as O Lord or the eternal self-existing one. Listen to what Isaiah says in his 57th chapter. God is the high, meaning he is the exalted one. God is the high and lofty one, meaning he is the supreme high and lofty one that inhabits eternity. I like that word, inhabits. I live in my home. When I am in my home and when I'm on the grounds of the home, I just don't passively dwell there. I am active there. I mow my yard. That's work. That's activity. I eat in, in, in my home. I eat my meals in my home. My wife and I, we converse in our home. We're active in our home. There is always activity going on in my home. I spend a lot of time at my desk uh, reading and studying God's Word. That is activity. And if you are not used to that type of activity, try it sometime. It is activity. We don't live in our homes passively. Nor does God inhabit eternity passively either. No, but rather He is active and energetic and dynamic as He inhabits eternity. Notice also... In verse number 2, David identifies him as my God. That word God translates from the Hebrew word El. We transliterate it into 
E-L, L. L means the mighty one. By the word, by the way, L is translated in the King James translation 218 times into the word God. L. L means the mighty one. The Lord is, as David said, my God. May I quote Westminster Chorter Catechism about God? It reads, God is spirit, infinite, eternal, unchangeable, in His being, wisdom, power, holiness, justice, goodness, and truth. He is El, the Mighty One. May we also repeat this morning Thomas's declaration in John chapter 20, where Thomas saw the resurrected Lord and saw the scars in his hands and in his feet and saw the scar in his chest. And Thomas declared, My Lord... There the word Lord translates from curios. Literally he was saying, My master, my master and my God. There the word God translates from theos. And theos literally means the strong almighty one. So first of all, let's love the Lord because we possess him. Main point number two is this. Let's love the Lord for His protective security in salvation. Sometimes we are afraid, are we not? I tell you, I don't need, I, I rarely ever watch the news anymore. It's terrifying. It's scary. From my human mind and my perspective and from my own weaknesses... It scares me what's going on today. I literally see the spirit, the spirit of Antichrist walking the halls of our government building and seated in the seats of Congress and in the Senate today. We're living in perilous times. We're living in dangerous times. And as David wrote in verse number 4, the same things that we could say this morning, the sorrows of death surrounded or compassed me, and the floods of ungodly men made me afraid. But let's love God for the safety that we have in Him. Notice that David writes of him as my rock in that verse. Meaning Jehovah is our strong, secure one. If we are in the Lord Jesus Christ, then we are building our house upon the rock. And regardless of the winds, and regardless of the earth shaking, and regardless of the rain, None of these metaphorical things will shake our faith and our belief in the security that we have in our salvation through Lord Jesus Christ. Notice that He not only identified Him as my rock, 
but he also identified him as my fortress as well. I love the word fortress because it is a place of steadfastness. It is a fortified refuge. It is a safe place away from the enemy's weaponry and the fiery darts of the wicked. It is a place where armies are stationed. Yes, and God has His armies. Multiple times throughout the Old as well as the New Testament, the Bible describes God as the Lord of hosts. That word host literally means armies. So what armies does he have? Surely we are reminded of the song that was sung unto us this morning. He could have called 10,000 angels. I'm glad he didn't. I wouldn't have security in my salvation. I wouldn't have salvation at all. Had the Lord Jesus Christ came down from that cross. It is a place where armies are stationed, a fortress is. What armies are we talking about that the Lord of hosts commands or the Lord of armies commands? Can we go over to Hebrews chapter 1, verse number 44, where the epistolar writes of angels, they are all ministering spirits sent forth to minister for them who shall be heirs of salvation. I remember my own father standing in the pulpit on a number of occasions throughout all of those years that I sat under his ministry. And I remember my father saying, if God could open our eyes so that we could see the spirit realm that is literally in our atmosphere this morning, we would see a battle between the holy angels and the demonic angels of Satan. Literally, we would see a battle in our very air that you and I are breathing this morning. Thank God for His ministering spirits who comes to minister to you and to me this morning because I am, and hopefully you are as well, an heir of salvation. May I say this, that I am indestructible until God's will and purpose for me is done and complete. The name of the Lord, Proverbs chapter 18 says, is a strong tower. The righteous run into it and are safe. David recognizes him not only as my rock and my fortress, but also as my high tower in that verse. A high tower is a watchtower. The enemy cannot come clandestinely against the fortress because the watchmen in the tower are watching. Whenever I was in the Air Force, I stood guard duty on a number of occasions. And I was alert. And God Almighty is my watchtower. He never sleeps. He never slumbers. Love the Lord for His deliverance in verse number 2 it says, Sometimes trouble overwhelms us. The sorrows of hell or all that pertains to wickedness 
compassed me about the snares of death prevented me. I believe that we can rightfully and correctly paraphrase that verse to read such. The destructions which destroy the wicked, those also surround me. The traps from which there is no escape confront me. Lord Jesus Christ said in John chapter 16, In the world you shall have tribulation. That word tribulation literally means put between a rock and a hard place. And the walls are squeezing in. Much in the same way that we would picture grapes in a, in a, in a, in a, a wine press. And those grapes are literally crushed to where the blood of the grape literally squirts out. And that's what tribulation is. Have you ever felt you've been in that situation before? (laughs) But Christ says also, but, but, some of the biggest words in the English language are short ones. But, be of good cheer, I have conquered or overcome the world. Not only does he call him my rock and my fortress and my high tire, but he also calls him my deliverer. God rescues us into his eternal safety and security. May we go over to the Messianic Psalm, chapter 53, and verse number 5, wherein David is referring to the suffering servant and of the enemies of the suffering servant which he will conquer. And David writes, There were they in great fear, where no fear was. For God, here God is translated from the Hebrew word Elohim. It is plural. It identifies the triune trinity of the Godhead. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. For Elohim has scattered the bones of him that encamped against him. Thou, speaking to Messiah Christ, has put them to shame, because God has despised them, or found them repulsive and repugnant. So not only does he identify him as my deliverer, but then again as my buckler as well. A buckler is a shield. In Deuteronomy chapter 1 and verse number 30, Moses says this to Israel, The Lord our God goes before you. He shall fight for you according to all that He did for you in Egypt before your eyes. Thank God I do not have to fight my own battles because I have a deliverer and I have a buckler, and I also have the horn of my salvation. We see that in verse number 2 as well. The word horn, usually throughout scriptures, often throughout scriptures, the word horn symbolizes aggressive, overpowering force. Let me give you an example in Jeremiah chapter 30. Jeremiah says, The fierce anger... That word fierce means furious, destructive anger of the Lord shall not return, it shall not abate until He have done it, until He have performed the intents of His heart. 
So we need to love the Lord for because we possess Him. We need to love the Lord because we love Him for His protective security. And then third of all, we need to love the Lord because we can approach Him. I love, I love the approachability of God Almighty. I love approachable people. Back whenever I was in the Air Force, I've had commanders who told us that my door's always open. And some of those commanders, it was true. I mean, we could walk down there and knock on his desk and, and uh, knock on his door and, and report in reverence and in respect at the point of attention with a salute, and we stood that way until he told us to at ease. And that's the way that we report unto God Almighty as well. Be careful approaching God in an irreverent, flippant manner. But listen, church, in reality God is only a plea away. Because David writes in verse number 3, I will call. That word call is not a whisper. I mean, it's loud. It's out loud. I will call upon the Lord. May I say this reverently, but also truthfully? We simply summon God. Now let's be careful with that one as well. In John chapter 9, verse number 31, listen to what the former blind man says. We know that God hears not sinners. Now that word sinner in that context means this. It is anyone who knowingly, willfully, purposefully, and habitually sins. There's a big difference in that type of sinner and the type of sinner that you and I are today. We know that God hears not sinners, but if any man be a worshiper of God and does His will, Him, God, hears. The Almighty's mercies deserve our praise, does He not? Because David writes in verse number 3, Who is worthy to be praised? I think of Daniel over there in Daniel chapter 2 when he's under a particular strain in his life as a captive boy. And he goes up to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and he says, Listen, we need to desire the mercies of heaven, the mercies of the God of heaven. And Daniel and his three companions prayed, and God so miraculously attended to their needs on so many occasions. I think of Jonah also. Over there in Jonah chapter 2, verses number 1 and 2, Jonah is literally in the belly's whale. In, 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 I'm sorry, in, in, the, in the whale's belly. Jonah calls it a fish over in the New Testament, translated whale. I don't know what kind of thing that was. I do know that God prepared it. Prepared it. It doesn't matter. He was in the belly of a great monster. And Jonah there in that condition says this, Then Jonah prayed unto the Lord his God, and out of the fish's belly, and said, I cried by reason of my affliction. 
Personally, if I was in the belly of that whale, I, I, I think I'd use a stronger word than affliction. But that word affliction means mental anguish and physical distress. I cried by reason of my affliction unto the Lord, and He heard me. And out of the belly of hell, that word hell translates from Sheol. And out of the belly of hell cried I, and thou heard my voice. By the way, did you know that not too many days ago, the Cape Cod Times reported the story of a man named Michael Packard who was a lobster diver and in the course of his duties was swallowed by a humpback whale. He said, I was completely inside. It was completely dark. There is, he says, there is no way I'm getting out of here. I don't know, maybe that's affliction. There is no way I'm getting out of here. I'm done, I'm dead. Then the whale flung him back out into the sea, and he was taken to a hospital there in Cape Cod and treated for, I think they reported, a lot of soft tissue damage. I can't imagine the nightmares that man's going to have for the rest of his life. I've never experienced anything like that, but I'm telling you, I still have nightmares from things that happened years ago. But I'm thankful that I can approach God Almighty. Listen to what the Hebrew writer writes in Hebrews chapter 4. Let us come boldly. Whenever I'd walk into my commander's office, I went in boldly, but I still went in reverentially and respectfully. I was in the, of the right attitude. Let's do the same thing when we approach Lord God. Let us come boldly into the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace in time of need. So let's love the Lord because we can approach Him. And then finally, let's look at our last point. Let's love the Lord because He responds to our needs. I do not have a, my Lord is not deaf. Heaven is not too far for God to hear. I don't know how far heaven is. I guess if, if I wanted to, I could look it up and find out just how far that the atmosphere is between our atmosphere and, and the vacuous space. I do know that the moon is a certain amount of hundreds of thousands of miles away. I do know that the sun is a certain amount of millions of miles away. And I can go over and I can read what scientists say, just how, how many light years, uh, how far that the, that the nearest star is. None of it makes any sense to me. I'm just a, I'm just a simple-minded type of person. And in all honesty, in my weakness, I, I doubt that I can probably even jump maybe a foot off the ground. So it doesn't matter how far away they are. I don't know how far heaven is. I don't know. Whenever I look at the science articles, 
about the deep vastness of space and how many galaxies that there are in, out there. I can't comprehend that. I get a headache thinking about the vastness of all that. Is heaven further away than that? And yet, heaven is not too far for God to hear me and to you when we pray. Because the Bible says in verse number 6, He heard my voice out of His temple. By the way, the word temple, as it's translated into the English word temple, is used in many different ways in the Old Testament. Usually when we see the word temple, we think of the tabernacle and the holiest of holies, or even Solomon's temple, or, or, or the temple of, of the Gospels that we read in there. But temple also means other things according to its context. Here the word temple simply means God's heavenly, holy habitation. God heard the sighs and groanings of the Hebrews when they were in Egypt. In Exodus chapter 2, it says, Their cry came up unto God by reason of their bondage. So God in heaven, in the habitation of His temple heard their pleas. By the way, may I also say this, that the same Hebrew word that translates into the English word temple also translates 15 times into the word palace. Follow it in a good concordance. And, and the same word also translates into word palace as well. God is not too lofty to act on our behalf. Because David writes in that verse, In my distress I called upon the Lord and cried unto my God. What was God's response to the Hebrews when they were in bondage? Exodus chapter 2 says, God looked upon the children of Israel and God had respect, meaning God, God skillfully perceived and acted unto them. No, honestly, I can't, under, I can't under, understand God. I, 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 I can't describe Him. But I am thankful that, that the Bible is worded in such a way that the common man like you and I can read it and, and can understand it from the human standpoint. And I'm telling you what the Bible says of God that we and our weak minds can understand ought to give us pause for praise and thanksgiving. God is not too busy nor distracted to personally intervene. David also writes in that verse, My cry came before Him even unto His ears. I've quoted this verse many, many times from the pulpit, and I'm going to do it again this morning. Listen to Elijah as he mocks Baal's prophets. In 1 Kings chapter 18, Elijah says, Cry aloud, for he, meaning Baal, is a god. Either he is talking, or he is pursuing, or maybe he's on a journey. Or perhaps, or peradventure, he sleeps, and you must awake him. 
Then we can go over into Psalm chapter 115, verse number 6 of the idol gods. They have ears, but they hear not. Whenever I was in Thailand, I would walk into the Buddhist temples, and I would see the great giant Buddha. Many of those Buddhas, I am positive, were plated with gold. And I would walk in there, and I would see the nose of that Buddha that could not smell, and the eyes of that Buddha that could not see, and the ears of that Buddha that could not hear, and the mouth and tongue of that Buddha that could not speak. And I have a God who is not a tangible idol, but God as a spirit can do all of those things. And He's just a beck and call away. Let me close with these thoughts here this morning. We love the Lord because He loves us. I've said this many, many times. I I, I don't know why the Lord loved me. I don't know why He chose to love me. Most of the time, I don't love myself. Most of the time, who I am and what I am and what I think and what I say and what I what I spend my activities on. Whenever I stop and pause and think about that, it's abhorrent, it's a repugnant. I mean, well, God, why do you why do you put up with me? I don't know why God does that. But I love him because he still loves me. Obedience is a true test of our love. Listen to what Christ says in John chapter 14. He that has my commandments. He that has my commandments and keeps them. That word keeps means to preserve them and to obey them. He it is that loves me. And the undeniable proof that God loves us is that He has revealed unto us Lord Jesus Christ. One of the prayers that I pray on a regular basis is, God, thank you for revealing who you are and what you are because you have revealed unto me Lord Jesus Christ. Our Lord says in that same verse, He that loves me shall be loved of my Father and I will love him and I will manifest I like that word. Look it up. And I will reveal myself. I will make myself known unto Him. Heavenly Father...